So we are going through a series this month on the foundations of the faith, rooted, grounded in the foundations of the faith. Last week, we talked about our mission as a church, that we exist, that we might share together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor. And this week, we're going to talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Romans talks about the gospel, the book of Romans. It says that it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to all who believe. And we've seen, so, so in old films and and this was something that was common during the days when newsboys would stand on the corner selling papers. They would say something like this, extra, extra, read all about it. Newspapers are a thing of the past, and, and there are probably some people here or listening online that don't even know what a newspaper is, similar to a rotary phone. But the point is that during the late 19th and early 20th centuries, newspapers were printed in the morning and sent out for delivery, but on the occasion when there was a newsworthy event that occurred later on in the day, newspaper companies would print an extra, which is the modern-day equivalent of breaking news as you're watching whatever news outlet you watch and you see that flash across the bottom of the screen, breaking news. Our current cultural moment feels as though we've been living in the midst of newsworthy events and breaking news, but this morning we're going to look at the most newsworthy event in human history. As we seek to wrap our minds around the gospel of Jesus the King. Jesus the King. So if you do have your Bibles, please open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And like Seski said, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. I just want to look at verses 1 and 2 right now. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. What do we mean when we use the term gospel? So historically speaking, to give a little context, in the ancient world, dating back to at least Isaiah's day, a breaking story or a newsworthy event was referred to as a gospel. And ancient gospels always refer to the announcement of happy or important events. And, and furthermore, during the New Testament era, gospel announcements were typically political in nature, a fact that the New Testament writers would have been fully aware of. See, they knew this term was political. They knew that. And so, so what is the gospel? It is, it is breaking news, and it is often political in nature. Well, what do the scriptures say about the gospel? It shows up all over the New Testament and also in the Greek Old Testament. And there's one Old Testament example that I think is super important as we start to reflect on this idea of what is the gospel. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, it says this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, gospel. Who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Your God reigns. From the lips of Jesus throughout the gospel narratives, we see in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming 
the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Matthew 24, 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So what's the point? The gospel that Paul is reminding his readers of is the good news that the Old Testament promise of the universal reign of Yahweh has come to fruition in the person and work of Jesus the King. In other words, the good news is that Jesus is King and that he secured his kingship through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and what theologians call session, a fancy way of sitting down to rule. So his, his death, his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and session is the content of the gospel. And so the text continues, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So, so what is this gospel? This gospel was preached, meaning that there is something that has to be said. There's something that has to be said. There is actual content to the gospel. And while we might live lives reflective of the gospel, we need to utter forth the words of the gospel if people are going to hear it and believe it and come into the kingdom of God. We need to speak forth this good news. The world needs to know that there is a king and his name is Jesus. They need to know that. Because right now we're being inundated with so many other types of kings and rulers and authorities. But there's one who stands above all of that. There's one who stands above all of that. So this gospel is preached, but this gospel is also received. Meaning that there is a response required to this good news. Meaning that when someone hears this news that Jesus is seated on the throne in heaven and that he died according to the scriptures for our sins and that he was buried and that he was raised again and that he's seated, they have to receive that. They have to believe that. And in receiving this good news, we are able to stand. Meaning that this gospel when received, serves as a firm foundation or footing for us as the body of Christ. We stand on the good news of the gospel. That it cannot be shaken. That ground cannot be shaken, Redeemer Fellowship. There is nothing that can disrupt the ground that we stand upon that is Jesus. There's nothing that can disrupt that. And while we are surrounded by so many disruptions right now, so many distractions, so many things that are happening in this world, of which I'm, I'm, I'm aching this week after what we've experienced. I'm aching this week. But that does not change who our God is. That doesn't change that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And then it says, those of us who have received this gospel, it is us who are being saved. Being saved. A quick note on Paul's theology. We have been saved 
talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2, that we were saved in the past tense. It happened. It also talks about an hour verse here that we are being saved. And in Romans, it talks about how we will be saved in chapter 5, verse 9. So salvation is a beginning, middle, end endeavor. It's a beginning, middle, end endeavor. And so what's the point? The gospel must be proclaimed and received, and it is the foundation upon which the church stands and experiences the salvation of Jesus. That's good news. That's newsworthy. That's something that should be shouted from the rooftops. And what we need to be careful of is replacing that good news with other bits of news with other things that we might hold near and dear to our hearts. None of those things are the gospel. None of those things are the gospel. And a false gospel is shaky ground, and we cannot stand on it. We cannot stand on it. It will fail every single time. Whether the gospel you believe in is is your family and what they mean to you, that will fail you. Whether it is some political system, that will fail you. Whether it is your career or your job or your finances and success, that will fail you. Whether it's your health, that will fail you. But the ground, the solid ground of Jesus, that's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And we, as followers of him, as those who claim him as our king, as our Lord, and as our Savior, we must cling to that. We must cling to that with everything we have, Redeemer. Because nothing else works. We're seeing that. We're seeing that played out in front of us on TV on a daily basis that all these other things that people put their hope in are failing miserably. But Jesus stands. Jesus stands. And that is the ground upon which we are called to stand upon. And so the text continues. Now I would remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. See, there is a catch. There's a catch. Because the sort of reception and standing that is required for this salvation is one that is marked by a faith that is unwavering in its resolve. The word that one must hold fast to is the content of the gospel, which we will unpack in just a minute. But holding fast seems to indicate what saving faith actually is. Because look at the text. It says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So so holding fast is, is contrasted with believing in vain. Which means that holding fast is actually trying to define for us what belief is. It is not vain belief, but rather it is a clinging sort of belief. One that is unwilling to move from that. See, the gospel does require us to commit ourselves to Jesus. It's not some sort of intellectual assent to to a set of propositions that, that we believed at one point. Maybe when you were a kid, you threw a stick into the fire and said, I believe, which, which is all well and good, but that stick's not saving you. 
That altar call is not saving you. That note that you wrote in the back of your Bible on the date that you said a particular prayer is not saving you. Jesus is saving you. And so we put our trust in him. We put our trust in him. And so what's actually happening in this text, this whole believing in vain? See, some in the church, they were questioning the resurrection. They were saying that, that yeah, yeah, I don't know if Jesus really rose from the dead. That's a little far-fetched. Like, that seems crazy. You know, you know people don't really rise from the dead. And, and here's, the, here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. Without the resurrection, guess what? There's no gospel. There's no gospel. In verse 14 of chapter 15, it says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. Useless. It's a waste of your time. In fact, you could be spending your hours doing much more profitable things if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And so at its most basic level, it's a denial of the bodily resurrection of Christ, which is arguably the central tenet of the gospel. But more broadly speaking, it can be understood, this vain belief, by a life that denies the reality of Jesus' kingship. A life that denies the reality of Jesus' kingship. Meaning that we allow other things to dictate how we live meaning that we allow maybe political systems to dictate how we live. We saw some crazy things this week. We saw some crazy things this week. And some things, and not all, some things were done in the name of Jesus. And that's heartbreaking. And there's so many things that are done, not just political endeavors that are done in the name of Jesus, but, but we do all sorts of, I mean, just think historically. The crusades were done in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. That's vain belief. That's vain belief. What we are called to, Redeemer Fellowship, is submission to, to one king. To one king. And, and you know what's beautiful about this king is that, is that he, he, he gives this, this good news to, to all the world. To every nation. That was the promise given to Abraham, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Every single one. That every tongue and tribe would bend their knee to King Jesus. And so we need to be aware that this gospel is far-reaching, that this isn't an American endeavor, but rather this is a worldwide endeavor. And that's good news. Because if it was just a national thing, 99% of us would be out of luck. Because it was for Israel first. But guess what? Israel was meant to bless the nations. The nations. And so we have to wrestle with this. We have to wrestle with this, this, this truth that, that God has a plan for all of creation. For all of creation. So, so what's the point? It's the point is that faith works itself out through a life lived in humble obedience to King Jesus, which requires a firm belief in his resurrection. No resurrection equals no king, which means no hope. No hope. We die, and that's it. Lights out. 
But Jesus promises more. Jesus promises more. And he explains how he accomplishes that through the next verses. It says this in verse 3 and following. For I deliver to you as of first importance. First importance. First importance. That means this is what matters the most. This is more important than anything else you might be moving toward. Anything else that might have captured your heart. This is of first importance. And this is the thing that should move us. This is the thing that should direct our paths. This is the thing that should be the fire underneath us that gets us out there and doing whatever it is that we do. It's the thing that informs every single decision we make. First importance. That Christ, and I'm going to stop right there, that Christ, Messiah, King, And I've shared this before, that whenever we see that word Christ, or in the Old Testament, whenever we see the word Messiah, that the words that should come to our mind in our own common vernacular is king. King. I also receive, the first importance, but I also receive that the king died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So part of the gospel is that the king of all of creation, died so that our sins might be forgiven, should we believe. So the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, that he died in our place, is a part of this gospel, this good news. I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that the king died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What does that mean, in accordance with the scriptures? Um, In other words, it means that the entire Old Testament was pushing towards this point. One scholar, N.T. Wright, says it best. He says this, The Bible, which Paul had known and loved as a young man, referring to the Old Testament, was like a story in search of an ending. A story in search of an ending. And, And when Jesus rose from the dead... The ending was now revealed. A story in search of an ending that finds its fulfillment and and fruition in the person and work of the king. The king. And so it goes on. That Christ died, that the king died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all born, um, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So what is the gospel? What is this road to the throne that Jesus sits upon? It's, it's that he, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, and then on the third day, he was raised again. And for 40 days, he was seen by Cephas, the 12, more than 500 brothers, James, and finally, Paul. Finally, Paul. And so what's the point? The story of Jesus becoming king is the good news we are called to proclaim to a lost and dying world. And it is this story that must shape us as a people who have been forgiven for our rebellion against God. Rebellion. We were all enemies with God. And he called us back in 
through the person and work of his son, Jesus, the king, the king. See, my job is is so interesting. I really have one job. My job is to continually point us back to Jesus while at the same time uncovering the things that pull us away from him. My job is to continually point us to Jesus while at the same time reminding us of the things that draw us away from him. And so I'm going to, week in and week out, I'm going to tell you about the king. I'm going to tell you about what he did. I'm going to do it through, through reading through all different portions of the scriptures and show how each one of those things point to the king. And I'm also going to point out the things that distract us from the king, that draw us away from God, because there's so much of that in this world. There's so much. There are sins, countless sins, that we have access to in this day and age. At the, at the click of a button, we, can, we are inundated with sin. And, and it's a smorgasbord, whatever your choice is. If, if you'd like lust, there's, there's plenty of that. If you'd like gossip, there's plenty of that. Just go on social media. If you want lies, just pick up any news outlet at this point, because who knows what's going on. And they're all distractions. They're all distractions from the man revealed in this book, the king, the king. The text goes on. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. We're going to look at that in the next coming months as we look through the book of Acts. We're going to see that persecution unfold. Persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God. Whenever you see a word, but, there's a contrast. It's marking a distinct difference from what was just previously said. This is who I once was, but by the grace of God, it says. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. When we are asked what the gospel is, the biblical reply is that Jesus is king and that he became king through a humble and obedient faithfulness that led him to a Roman cross where he died for our sins, was buried, raised, crushing death to pieces. And then he ascended to the Father where he rules over all of creation from his throne. That's that's the good news, Redeemer. It's a simple story. But it's the most wonderful story of all time. Because the thing we are, are fearful of the most is, is death. And what, is, and what does Jesus do? He flips it on its head. He says, yeah, no, death ain't a thing anymore. Sorry. 
Sorry, I'm, I'm actually crushing that to pieces. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is swallowed up in victory, it says in verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through King Jesus. Through King Jesus. Redeemer Fellowship, this is the point of everything. And this isn't a game. And I said this in the past. We're not playing. I can't play. I can't do it. I won't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. If this is just a game, I can go get a job making far more money. Because what's the point then? If this is a game, what's the point? What are we doing? What are you all doing if this is a game? What are you all doing? We worship the king. And every single thing we do should be done in light of the fact that that man, Jesus, died on a cross and rose again and seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all creation. And he is coming back. He's coming back. This is the gospel of Jesus. And we see that, that our response to the gospel is to acknowledge precisely who we are. We said this last week, that humility isn't so much that something that we strive towards, but rather it's a recognition of who we actually are. It's just putting on glasses that show reality. Humility is who we are. Whether we believe it or not, we are humble, we are broken, we are dust. And so it says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. We have all persecuted the church of God. We have all done things that, that, that take the Lord's name in vain. Right? We talk about taking the Lord's name in vain as though it means just saying God in the middle of a sentence. And while we shouldn't do that, and, and I teach my children not to do that, it's so much more than that. It's, it's how we live our lives. When we live an anti-gospel life, yet call ourselves a Christian, we are taking the Lord's name in vain because we are marked by Christ. And we're showing the world a false God. Oh, we can't do that, Redeemer. We need to fight that temptation. We need to fight against those idols that are ransacking our hearts that are, that are in, in, enveloping us. Oh, we need to be careful. We need to be careful. And those idols show up in so many different ways. We talked about them. We talked about the idol of, of pleasure, the idol of power, the idol of success, the idol of comfort, the idol of getting back to the way things once were. These are all idols because the truth is that Jesus is king and that's the only thing that should move us. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And so he is unworthy. He recognizes his lack of worth. But by the grace of God, which is how we all walk, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. As we look at the, the example of Paul, are we working harder than any of them? And this is the paradox of the gospel, right? Because it says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So, so there are actions we need to take. There are steps we need to take. But it's God, right? Because 
God prepared the good works that we should walk in. But we got to walk in them. He's calling us to things. He's telling us, okay, I'm your king. Show me. Show me what it means to pledge allegiance to King Jesus. Show me what it means. It means faithfulness. It doesn't mean perfection. We can't do perfection. It's not going to happen. But it does mean faithfulness. It means repenting when we do sin. It means repenting when those idols get the best of us. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. It closes like this. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. And so when we think of the mission of the church, as I said in the beginning, something needs to be spoken. Something needs to be said. We need to speak forth this word. We need to tell others, Jesus is king, and he died for your sins according to the scriptures. And he suffered, he was buried, he rose again, and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's good news, Redeemer. That's the best news, Redeemer. That is what matters. That is what matters. So, so our response to this good news that Jesus is king and that the king died according to the scriptures for our sins, our response is unwavering allegiance, which is expressed through humble obedience and a love for God that is lived out through cross-shaped love for neighbor. The late missionary and author Leslie Newbegin said it like this. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. I am suggesting that the only answer is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Who believe it and live by it. We are being called to believe this truth and not the sort of belief that we see in verse 2 unless you believed in vain. No, but rather the other portion of verse 2, the, the sort of belief that, that clings to, that holds fast. That sort of belief is what we're called to. And that sort of belief will result in a life lived that promotes this goodness, that promotes this glory, that shows the world what God is like. That shows the world what God is like. I love this quote. A congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. That's how we'll prove to the world that this thing is real. And if we don't do it, it doesn't mean it's not real. It just means that we miss out. We miss out. And if you're sitting here thinking like, well, well, John, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. There's so many other things that, are, that, that I have to deal with in my life that are far more important than, than this thing you call Christianity. Um, and, and, and I can't imagine anyone's actually thinking those words. But if you're placing anything above Jesus, Scripture calls us to examine ourselves, to see whether or not we're in the faith. Because like I said, a prayer, a stick in the fire, an altar call, a note in the back of your Bible does not save you. Jesus saves you. 
Jesus saves you. And you know why he has the authority and ability to save? Because he's the king. He's the king. And he's a good king. He's a good king who loves us dearly. So much so that he gave his life so that ever who believe might have eternal life. That is the good news. We must not be deceived by any other saviors. There is not a political figure on the planet that can save you. And when Jesus was declared Lord, King, that gospel, it was political. Because you know who else was declared Lord? Caesar was declared Lord. Why do you think they wanted to kill the apostles? Why do you think they wanted to kill Jesus? Because another kingdom was coming. And kings don't like to be taken off of their throne. Kings hold on to power with everything they have. And so, yes, the gospel is political in nature. Not in the way we might think. But it is certainly political because it declares a rule and reign of Almighty God that will last for all eternity. His kingdom will have no end. That is the good news, Redeemer. That is what we are about here. That is all that matters. And we are not going to allow ourselves to be distracted by any other gospels, by any other gospels. Because there is only one that saves. There's only one that has the power to save to all who believe, to the Jew first, and also to all of us. Praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you so much. And we thank you for the grace, Lord, that you lavish upon us, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, I pray for us, Lord. I pray that we would not allow the things of this world to, to draw us away, Father. That we would not allow the powers and authorities to, to deceive us into thinking that there is another way to, to flourish in this world. There's only one, Lord. It's your, it's your grace that comes through the power of your gospel. Father, thank you that you reign on high, Lord. Thank you that even in the midst of chaos, Lord, you are the king. You are the king. Lord, we love you with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.